Thank you. Thank you for joining me today. We have been talking about Martin Luther the last two days. We told the story of the Reformation and kind of the way that the world uh, was getting prepared for the Reformation. So the world the world was ready for Martin Luther at the time that Martin Luther uh, was ready, uh, was born, and, and at the time that uh, he was ready to challenge the Catholic Church. So uh, today we are, ta- we are talking, this is part one of Luther's theology. We're going to go into Luther's theology and share a little bit about that and how that is different. Uh, than some of the different theologies of the day and maybe some of the different theologies of today. So uh, thank you so much for being here. Glad you're here. While I'm doing this, just to have some questions I want you to think through. Uh, What part of Luther's theology is your favorite? Uh, What part of Lutheran theology is uh, most confusing? And is there something about... uh, Are there aspects of other theologies, maybe even other religions, that help you understand God? So I would love for you to consider those things. What part of Luther's theology is your favorite? What's most confusing? And are there aspects of other theologies that help you understand God? Okay, so the big question of the day when Luther was organizing a church, the church, uh, was the law of Moses. What role does the law of Moses play in our new theology? Do we have to follow the Mosaic law to be saved? So that was part of the beginning of the uh, creating the theology for the new the new Protestant church. Uh, that's where kind of this the, the basic question that started all of this. So uh, Luther came up with something called the three solas. So the th- three things that alone, right? Sola is lone, solo. Uh, so grace alone, God's word alone, faith alone. Grace alone, God's word alone, faith alone. And we're going to go through those three here today, this morning. And then we're going to talk about the great paradox where Luther says we are saints and sinners. How can we be do two different things at one time? So we're going to talk about that too. Uh, and then tomorrow we'll do uh, some more theology and then talk about the impact that Luther had on the world. So, okay. So grace alone, grace alone. Luther Luther starts with grace alone. Okay, so the the Reformation started. The 95 Theses was written because the Catholic Church was selling indulgences, right? So we remember back to Monday, that's where. So Luther said, well, God's grace is a free gift. It can't be bought. Uh, it, it has been given to us by Jesus' death on the cross. Uh, so our first thing for our new church is grace alone. We will not sell indulgences. We will not try to tell people that they need to do something or buy something uh, so that they can earn God's God's blessings. That's God is a God of grace. And so we, uh, as Lutherans, that's, you know, we believe that. That's what we build our, our foundation on. So Ephesians 2, starting at verse 7 so that in the ages to come he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. So God's love God's promises, God's blessings are given to us for one reason, because God is a God of grace, period. God has chosen to give them to us. Uh, Not that we have earned anything. God gives them to us completely free without any kind of strings attached. God is a God of grace. Um, Verse 7, 
the immeasurable riches of his grace. The immeasurable, cannot measure. There is no end to God's grace. God's grace is, is given to us and it ne- there's, there's never going to be a shortage of supply when it comes to God's grace. God's grace is just something that continues to come and continues to come as much as we need it, as much as we could possibly want, as much as we could possibly need, enough to uh, enough to save the whole world, enough to save everyone who ever lived in the world. John 1, 6, verse 16. From his fullness, we have received grace upon grace. From his fullness, we have received grace upon grace, upon grace, upon grace, as much as we need, as often as we need it. God's grace, God's kindness towards us, God's love for us is a gift. And for Luther, there was no way that you could earn it. There was nothing you could do to make yourselves more lovable to God. So we can stop trying to earn our salvation. We can stop trying to buy our salvation. So the Mosaic law then is, I mean, it's, there's a lot of good stuff in there that tells you, you know, good ways to live, but it's not going to make God love you anymore. That's grace alone. Okay. Second part, God's word alone. Sola scriptura. Uh, The church, the Catholic church had made up all kinds of rules and traditions that had no scriptural basis. They just made them up. And, and so Luther said, no, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. We're going to rely solely on God's word, not on the Pope, the church, or any other voice to tell us what to do. We are going to rely on God's word. We're going to do what the Bible says. And so in the ELCA Constitution, it says the church accepts the canonical scriptures of the Old and New Testament as the inspired word of God and the authoritative source and norm of its proclamation, faith, and life. So Everything we do comes from Scripture. If it's not in Scripture, we need to think, why are we doing this? And if it's in Scripture, then it's Lutheran. Because we believe that the the Scriptures are the the authoritative source and norm. So if it's in Scripture, it's Lutheran. So uh, Scripture is what calls us and pushes us and guides us and convicts us and comforts us. Because ELCA Lutherans believe that the most important thing about the Bible is that it reveals Jesus Christ and conveys the message of law and gospel to us. Law is that which accuses us. Law points us to our need for Christ. And gospel is that which comforts us. It tells us what Christ has done for us. It explains God's grace. And so we believe that Scripture is the only rule and norm according to which doctrines uh, are, are to be established, be established and evaluated. It all starts and ends with Scripture. If Scripture, you know, we're not going to come up with something that is inconsistent with Scripture. It's just not going to happen. Um, it doesn't mean that we don't respect sound reason or human experience, but uh, we believe that Scripture is the unique authority, uh, is the only record of revealed truth, and it therefore, it therefore provides a perspective from which human reason and experience are best understood. So everything that we understand in life starts and ends with scripture. So uh, just kind of a side note here, how ELCA Lutherans interpret scripture. I'm going to give you four points, and these are important. These are very important. I hope that um, maybe you've heard these before. Probably not. These are important, though. So um, we interpret scripture contextually. We ask about the historical context. We want to know, you know, when you read the book of Revelation and all these, all these images, and th- what do they mean? What do they mean? What would they have meant 2,000 years ago? If you were reading this 2,000 years ago, would you understand things that we don't understand now? Uh, imagine 2,000 years from now, reading a, 
reading something about two people walking through the Big Apple. We know that that means two people are walking through New York City. 2,000 years ago, uh, 2,000 years from now, will people understand that? Will people know that New York was referred to as the Big Apple? Who knows? So, so we try to look at the historical context and we ask, what situation was this text trying to address? Why was this written? So for instance, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter, it's a beautiful chapter and it's, it's so often read at weddings, right? Well, when Paul wrote it, he did not have weddings in mind. Paul was writing to a bunch of people in Corinth at the church in Corinth who were arguing with one another. And the purpose behind, Paul, behind Paul's writing was to get them to stop arguing and to love one another. And so, yeah, we have this great text that we use at weddings and sometimes we even use it at funerals. And right, it's a great text. But the context behind it is Paul writing it to a group of people who are arguing with one another. Uh, and so it's important to know the context behind, uh, behind the writings. The second thing, uh, we seek to apply scripture teaching uh, through a principle of analogy, asking whether situations in the modern world are comparable to those in the biblical world, even if they're not exactly the same. So uh, if you read through scripture, if you read through scripture, most of our understandings of God are analogy. Most of our, under I would say all of our understandings of God our analogy, because God is so much bigger than we can understand. We cannot wrap our minds around the what God is, right? And so we have these analogies from Scripture that God is a father. Well, God's more than that, right? So it's just it, it, to, to claim that God is a father is an incomplete picture of God because God is more. Jesus is the good shepherd. Well, that that's helpful, but he's more. It says that we are the clay and he is the potter. So, you know, God is shaping us, molding us, creating us. That helps us understand God, but God is more. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the lamb of God. I am the rock, the cornerstone, the vine. You are the branches, I am the vine. And so it just goes on and on and on. All these understandings about who Jesus is and what Jesus does, they help us, but they're analogies. And so we look at scripture to teach us through the principle of an analogy. Not at all times. There's times when, you know, the, but, you know, a parable basically is a story with the, that has a, a greater meaning. It's right. So uh, it, it, you know, when we look at the story of the prodigal son, we know that that story is a, an analogy for, to help us understand uh, more about God. So that's the second part. Uh, third part, we interpret scripture in light of scripture. We want to try to reconcile what it says in one book versus the other book, realizing that there's tensions between the text. And sometimes they say to be uh, they seem to say different things, but we want to do our best. We want to do our best to look at one, uh, one verse and, and interpret it through another verse to, to, to try and be as consistent as possible. We don't want to just pick out verses uh, and leave others alone. Uh, you know, we want to try our best to be consistent as possible. So uh, that's the third part. And the fourth part, we recognize that there are some things in Scripture that are more important than others. And this could be controversial just hearing that. But all of Scripture is the Word of God, but what the Bible says about loving one's neighbor is more important than what it says about picking grain on the Sabbath. That's what Jesus said, right? Jesus said, when Jesus was arguing with the Pharisees, that's what he said. Uh, and so uh, we believe that what it says about justification by faith in Christ is more important than what it says about speaking in tongues or other things like that, you know, so we believe that there are parts of scripture that are more important than other parts. And that, that could be controversial, uh, but that's what we believe. So we have grace alone, the word of God alone, and finally, faith alone. 
faith alone. It is not the merits of the saints that save. Uh, It's not our good works. It's our faith. By grace, through faith, we come to God. Luther believed that individuals receive this gift of salvation through faith. The Christian faith, here is the Christian faith. It's believing that Jesus is Lord and trusting in the promises of the gospel. You believe that, you're saved. But even faith itself is seen as a gift of God, created in the hearts of Christians by the work of the Holy Spirit through, through our baptisms and through the word. Uh, okay, so Luther believed that this all comes from the Holy Spirit, that faith is the work of the Holy Spirit. So in, in Luther's third explanation of the article of the Creed, this is, this is what he said. I believe that I cannot, by my own reason or strength, believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, or come to him, but the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, sanctified, and kept me in the true faith. Meaning that if you believe in Jesus Christ, it's not because of anything you did. It's because God has given you the gift of faith. Acts 3, chapter 16, Peter said, And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. So there was a, a, a crippled man. They, um, they healed him, Peter and James, uh, Peter and John, sorry. And, and so they asked, how did this happen? And his name, through faith in his name, talking about Jesus, he has made this man strong, whom you see and now. And then he says this, yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. The faith that comes through him, the faith that comes through Jesus, the faith that Jesus gives us. The faith that comes through him, not, not the faith that we pick, not the faith that we decide. And so we're not, we don't believe in decision theology, right? Someone will ask you, when were you saved? And, and there are different denominations that, where you could say, I was saved on this date, right? Uh, Lutherans would say we were saved 2,000 years ago on a cross. We don't believe in decision theology. We don't believe that one day we woke up and decided to follow Jesus, right? Uh, we believe that you know, Jesus did everything needed for us to be saved, and that was 2,000 years ago, and Jesus has claimed us, uh, and so we are grateful for that. So these are the three solas, the uh, faith alone, grace alone, and God's word. Okay, so then we have the great paradox, Luther's, uh, Luther's great paradox, this great tension uh, that uh, many people, we all struggle with, right? What does this mean? Luther says, every believer by faith is Simul justus et peccator. I'm sure that's a better, there's a better way to say it. But it means at the same time, saint and sinner. At the same time, we are saint and sinner. So what does that mean? What, how can we be both at the same time? Uh, we are sinners. It is who we are. There's nothing we can do about it, really. We can't stop sinning. Even when we do the best we can do, we still deserve the title of sinner. That's not said to make us feel guilty or to make us feel ashamed, but true gratitude comes from being humble enough to admit that we need God. It comes from being humble enough to admit that we are sinners. So we start Sunday morning confession. Growing up, this was the confession we did every Sunday. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart and we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. So it's the things that we've done, right? The the actual sins we've done, the lies we've told and all that stuff. And the things we haven't done. The people who we haven't helped, the the, the times when we should have acted and we didn't, uh, the things we, the time, the opportunities we had to be generous and we chose not to. uh, And so it's the, the, the sins that we, you know, the sins of omission, the things that we 
should have done, but didn't. Yeah, I mean, it's there's the, that list is probably just as long as the list of things we have done, right? We're probably not aware of the amount of times when we could have done something and we didn't. Uh, sin is not, it, it's, we can't really decide to stop sinning. Matthew 5, 21, 22, I preached about this a couple months ago. Jesus said, you have heard it said that it was, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. Anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Can you stop yourself from getting angry? I can't. I mean, I can, I can control what I do with my anger. I can make sure that it doesn't, uh, that it doesn't motivate me to do things that I wish I hadn't, to motivate things to hurt myself and to hurt others. But I can't control being angry. It's a, it's, that's an emotion that comes right? I can't control that. If indeed my anger is a sin, well then my sin is not under my control, right? So I am a sinner and I'm a saint because a sinner being a sinner, that's who I am. But being a saint is all about who God is, right? God chooses to make us saints. Not through anything we do, but because God prefers to see us that way. God prefers to see us as saints. God has made that decision. Say, I I would rather see them as saints than sinners, so I'm going to do that. I don't know. Have you ever had someone in your life who always believed in you, always uh, always expected the best out of you, believed in you in ways you'd never believed in yourself? Even even when you didn't believe in yourself, they were like, oh, you're going to do great. You're going to do great. And you're like, I don't even know if I, I, I... Sometimes it could even get annoying, right? With these people, you know, it could be our grandparents, our parents, or friends, or whatever, right? They just believed in you in ways that you didn't believe in yourself, and they tried. They're like, "You're always going to do great." I just know that you're always going to do great. You know, uh, that's God. That's God. That's how God sees us. God believes in us as much as we believe in God. God believes in us so much so that God changes our very nature, in His eyes, anyway. He says, "I am going to make you a saint." I am going to see you as a saint because I want to. Because I love you so much, that's how I want to see you. My grandmother, I mean, there was nothing I could do to make my grandmother uh, not believe that I was a saint, right? She just uh, just thought the world of me and, you know, maybe some of my other cousins. uh, I know I I was her favorite, but um, that's okay. They're not going to watch this anyway. So, uh, and so there literally, she just always believed that I was going to do the right thing. And she always believed that I was, you know, special in ways that I just never really believed. And so, you know, that's God. God sees us in the best possible light. We see this perfect vision of us, of what we could be, of what we hope to be someday. Like, man, if I could only do this, if I could lose this weight, if I could do this, you know, I would, there was this perfect, uh, perfect vision of who we are. And God's like, yeah, that's how I see you. I see you even better than that. I see you even better than that. So saints and sinner, the great paradox. We look in the mirror and we see ourselves for all our faults. We see ourselves for all our mistakes. And God looks at us and sees us for what we could be, uh, sees us the way that God chooses to see us. Uh, and so thank God for that. So uh, we will stop there today. We did uh, the three solos and sinners and saints. Everyone have a great day. So let's close with a uh, word of prayer. Uh, good and gracious God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for loving us, even though we don't deserve it. We thank you for forgiving us, and we thank you for seeing us in ways that uh, we can't see ourselves. Uh, We are grateful for the promises that you have made to us, and we pray that you would always help us to uh, remember you are with us. Remember we are loved, 
Uh, remember, you see us in a, in a different way than we do and help us to see ourselves uh, in that same way. We pray for our world. We pray for those who are sick and for those who are helping them. Uh, may your healing presence be everywhere. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, everybody, have a wonderful day and hope to see you all soon. Take good care of yourselves. Bye.